So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you for time to be in your word, Lord. And Father God, I do want to lift up the performance this week, Father God. Just ask you to go before it. Already be preparing the hearts, minds, and souls of everyone that will be there, the performers, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, continue to fill each of the performers and also John and be in this tech week with all the rehearsals and extra preparation and just cover the health of every single person that's involved in this project, Lord. And Father, we thank you. And don't take for granted that we can gather freely this morning, that we can come into your word freely this morning. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you for your word. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we finished John chapter 2 last week. And in that, we got to see what I was calling the three different hearts based on who we saw come up there. So we saw the Jews, which are the religious leaders, and we had that as the my way heart, the the heart that just wants my things, my way, no other way. We saw the disciples, who are the his way heart, who follow him, who do what he say. Then we see the signs-based believers, who it's just about seeing the signs, it's superficial, the fake way heart. Now the charge that you had over this last week was to examine which one are you. Where is any pieces of the fake way or my way in your heart? Did you do that? Did you pray? Did you ponder, where am I, Lord? Search me. Search my heart that I can be fully who you need me to be for your glory. And the second charge was to truly seek that his way heart. To truly be anchored in his word, no deception at all. Are you taking stock of what you're taking in, what you allow to come in, what fills you? Thinking of what we saw earlier with the temple, needing to clean ourselves, none of that leaven, none of that sin. When we think about that, it's the reminder of the anchor being the word of God alone. It's the reminder that our citizenship is in heaven alone. Our citizenship isn't in activism, agendas, ideologies, it's in Jesus alone. That's our citizenship, that's our identity, Jesus alone. Christ alone. And then we have this, the word of God. Are you using it to help people see the sin in their lives? Are you using it? Are you putting it before people to say, search your heart. See where there is sin. Let the word of God do the judging. Present the word and let them take up the wrestle with that. Now, before we delve into chapter 3 which is a beloved chapter of this gospel, which so many people know, I want us to just recap a few things where we are, and particularly if you haven't been with us on this journey all the way. Let's recap. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in John 1.1, right away we have the reminder of the preexistent Christ. We have the reminder he's there from the very beginning. We have the reminder he's one with God. We know when we looked at Genesis, the Holy Spirit is present at creation, triune God there. Then in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1, But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That reminder that salvation is only through God. He leads that. And then verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The beautiful gift of Jesus coming. The word become flesh for you, for me. Verse 29, we see, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because it's about every single sin, past, present, future, one big mass laid on him. 
And verse 33, we see that reminder, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the teacher, the comforter, equips us, empowers us. We see him calling his disciples. We see in the calling, think of Simon, think of Nathaniel. He says, the Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He knows the heart as the person comes before him. The Lamb of God with the wedding, water, wine. We saw that there is a new sacrifice, Jesus. In the temple, we saw there's a new temple, Jesus. Jesus, again, the center of all. And in chapter 3, we now see the new birth. Now, today's message is titled, Rethinking Birth. Rethinking Birth. We could just plow through all of chapter 3 today, but we're going to slow it down just a little bit. And we're going to only take the first eight verses of this chapter. And as we do that, we're going to see a religious ruler, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We're going to see him come to Jesus and acknowledge Jesus as teacher. He's going to meet Jesus eye to eye. We're going to see Jesus turn his world upside down. Because he has a notion of how things are, how things will be, based on who he is and his status and where he is. But Jesus will turn it upside down when the kingdom of God comes up. We could rush to verse 16 of this chapter, which we know, which we love. But as I did with youth, that's a cliche verse because we forget what's before it, we forget what's after it. And before it is something so important to the key of salvation and something we should be praying with this performance coming up Sunday. Only the Lord has us in this chapter in the timing of this concert. Holy Spirit, cool moment. But we have to realize with that, with salvation, we need to see our state. We need to see our sin state status before we can be a surrendered servant status. We need to see that. And so he's going to flip that world upside down because he must be born again. Now, I remember when I first got saved and around that time before it came, when I would hear born again, I'd be like, oh, those are the cuckoo people. They're cuckoo. I don't want anything to do with them. I grew up Catholic. I don't want anything to do with these cuckoo people. But then when you go to scripture, guess what? You must be born again. It's not a sect. It's not a group. It's the way. So that's what we're going to see as we go through this. And we're going to see what happens when we come face to face with Jesus. Because Nicodemus comes with his own presumptions. Nicodemus comes with his own assumptions of how things should be, how he can be. But when we see Jesus face to face, guess what? We don't get to receive what we want. We receive what he wants. And he gives us the truth. And we have a choice to receive or reject. But when you see Jesus face to face and you receive, you can't stay the same. You can't. There's a change that must come. So let's stand and let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your word. Heavenly Father, thank you for a discourse that shows us a conversation with the Savior, a conversation with the King. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power, with your wisdom, with your discernment, that these words, these verses would be rightly divided for your people, that the words that come out of my mouth would be what you need for your people. And Holy Spirit, please protect from distraction, that people would be focused on what you have for them, and that alone. And Heavenly Father, for the person here who may not know you, that they may come to know you. For the person here who knows you and is struggling or his mind is filled with things, that they would just focus and meet with you face to face right now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat. Rethinking birth. Birth is a beautiful gift. If we think about this idea of birth, it is a chance to see God's daughter in such deep communion with the king. As you know, we've got our precious, beloved little Baldrick man, and birth was such a gift. Now, for us, it was an interesting thing because I had to rethink birth because we had a home birth. So I had to take all of the things that I saw in Hollywood of the screaming, of the pain, of the misery, birth is horrible and torturesome, and twist it to realize, oh, it's actually going to be this really peaceful, beautiful experience. So we had Jesus, essential oils, you can make fun of me later, Paul, uh, acupressure, and prayer. That's what we had. And it was a beautiful moment of serving God's daughter, my wife, coming alongside with her and just watching her gracefully go through that whole process with our king. I'll save the story so that I don't get in trouble. But it was really, truly, truly beautiful to see the way she went through that journey. And then at the end, the gift of a child to steward for him. So now when we rethink birth, Personally, when I thunk of birth, I had to rethink. I had to get rid of the Hollywood way and realize it can actually be a blessed, peaceful, beautiful experience. It doesn't have to be torturesome. And wow, are women's bodies designed powerfully by God. That's a whole nother topic. Then Nicodemus in this moment also has to rethink birth. He's got to rethink everything he knows of that word. And we're going to see Jesus is giving a spiritual truth as he does throughout this gospel, that requires a digging deeper. So in verse 1, we see there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now remember, when we look at Scripture, we have these nice, neat chapter and verses. That wasn't the case. That's not what's originally in the text. So let's go back to 23. We looked at it last week. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We've got to link those two portions together 
Because right before, we're seeing an artificial, we're seeing that superficial faith that's just based on kind of, I see these signs Jesus does, I want them. He can't commit because the heart doesn't fully want that. The condition that they're seeking Jesus isn't the condition that he wants that heart to come to him. But now there's this man that comes, this Pharisee, Nicodemus. And with him, he's not coming for the actions. He's coming for Jesus' words. He's coming to have a conversation. He's meeting Jesus face to face, not sign by sign. Now, when we look at this, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees, their authority was the scripture and the oral traditions. Now, the Pharisees started out fine, but then it became more and more religious, legalistic, and ritualistic. And guess what? That's a little reminder when we see Pharisees and Sadducees, we've got to be aware of that in our own lives, saints. Are you becoming ritualistic? Get in the car, drive to church, five worship songs, sit down. Greet people, sit down, stand up, read word, sit down with word, listen to message. It's a little long, Vince. Leave, get in the car, go home. So we're doing that. Are you in that pattern? Are you just stuck kind of going or are you truly seeking to commune with him, to know him? Are you becoming legalistic? Well, I don't like the way that was too loud. It shouldn't be so loud, that song. Why aren't they singing this? Why aren't they doing this? Why isn't this this way? That's a little legalism, friends. We have to be mindful for us, too, of those things. We've got to be aware of those things. So now, again, we see here this Pharisee. Nicodemus is religious. Now, the status that he has, he's going to be educated. As a ruler, he's going to be aristocratic. And he's a ruler of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the same group that eventually would come to crucify Christ, has one going to seek Christ. That should remind us, when we see groups that are so against God, don't think that there can't be souls that get saved amongst that group. We need to be in prayer for that. We need to see that, because look at what Nicodemus is doing. He's coming, he's seeking, he's looking, and the Lord knows the heart. So again, in verses 23 to 25 of chapter 2, it's signs and superficial. Jesus can't commit to that. But as we see the evidence later, when Nicodemus comes back later in this gospel, we see that there was the ability for Jesus to commit to Nicodemus. And in this account, we see earnest seeking. But it reminds us, when we look at it again, with what came right before and where we are, the heart. What is the heart seeking Christ? What is the heart coming to Christ? Now, we keep going here. Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. He came by night. Now, there is much debate amongst theologians on this night thing. You can find so many different things because there will be people who will be like, he's a coward. He couldn't come in daylight. He's not standing for Jesus. He's this. He's that. Some then will say he wanted to have uninterrupted time with Jesus. Now, in the context of the scripture, we don't get the reason why he comes by night. There's no, John's great with giving us those parentheses of things that help us learn more, but we don't get that here. Personally, when I look at this, I say, okay, one, it reminds us there's going to be mystery when we read the word. There's going to be mystery of our Savior. And that's a place for us to rest in his sovereignty, to rest that he's in control. And then I also say, okay, for the person who's afraid, maybe it was fear for Nicodemus. But look, he still pursued an opportunity to go to him. 
And if the person isn't feared, and if it's somebody who is just saying, okay, he's going at night because he wants time alone, great, go with that. Are you taking that time alone to be with him? Are you taking those times that can be uninterrupted to seek to spend time with Jesus? So again, there's speculation on both sides. Take the speculation and see where the application is versus trying to pick which fence is right when we don't have the clear context in Scripture. Now we keep going. We see, by night and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi. He calls him Rabbi. Now there's different names that we could have seen here. We could have seen Rab, we could have seen Rabbi, we could have seen Rabboni, which is the greatest. He uses Rabbi. Now that's not saying great master teacher, but it's still saying teacher. It's acknowledging, remember, this ruler, this Pharisee, this one who is a Jewish ruler, coming to Jesus and saying, teacher, you clearly, there's something about you that I don't have the same of. There's something above. Teach me. Teacher. Again, how does that heart come to him? Rabbi, we know, we, perhaps speaking on behalf of these rulers of the Sanhedrin, that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he says here, teacher, we know you've come from God. No one can do this unless God is with him. No one can do what? Remember everything that he would have seen or heard. We got it in John 1. John the Baptist coming, saying he's going to be coming. The Messiah is going to come. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That would be seen. The story of the baptism. My beloved Son in who I'm well pleased with. The Holy Spirit descending upon him would have been known and seen. We see the water to wine would have been known and seen. The temple would have been known and seen. Verses 23, we see in chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, what did he do? Many signs. So there's much that's going on that Nicodemus can come and say these words. You are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now notice when he says this, it's a statement. Nicodemus doesn't come and say, Rabbi, I know you're Rabbi. Do a sign to prove it. Rabbi, I know you're Rabbi. Give me this. It's not a question. It's just a statement. And in that statement, it shows that sometimes that's a little bit more powerful because then he just stays and awaits God's response to that statement. He awaits God's word without a question that makes it about something he needs. He's just saying who he is. Now remember, Nicodemus and these rulers, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. But what do they think of Messiah? They think of Messiah, he's going to be this political hero, political champion. And when it comes to the idea of eternity, Nicodemus, remember, he's Jewish, he's a descendant of Abraham, circumcised, risen to power, he's a leader of the Sanhedrin, he's not going to have any doubt, he doesn't need to worry about that. He's good. He's all set. And then we see Jesus' response. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you. Most assuredly, I say to you. When we see those words, we've got to just take a moment to realize he's saying, seriously, for real, in truth, I tell you, fully. This is a big, you've got to listen. There's no wiggle room on this one. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom 
of God. This shows, again, Jesus knowing the heart of who's in front of him. In that moment, when he says, you're this teacher, you're doing all these things you could do with God, Jesus doesn't go, yes, thank you, I know, it's, it's really, I did some really great things, didn't I? I'm, I'm really cool. No. He knows the heart. He knows it's a heart in Nicodemus yearning to know the truth. And he says, I'm going to give it to you. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Jesus throws his world upside down in that moment. Because again, think about this. Their thoughts on the kingdom of God are colliding in this moment. Jesus takes a notion that he will have. Nicodemus, at this point, everything that he's done in his life, everything that he's come to, he's secure in where he's going. He would know that. But he's got to rethink everything now. It's the same thing for us. Think about the journey that we have when, before we come to meet Christ. We have this whole life that we know how to live. We know what we're doing. We know how we go. And then we meet Jesus and it's like, whoa, I can't keep going the way I'm going. And in this moment when he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God to this ruler, to this Pharisee, to this high-profile religious leader who feels he's good, Jesus is saying, you ain't good enough, dude. You are not. Your Jewish identity is not a shoo-in. Keeping the law is not a shoo-in. Having a checklist that you do is not a shoo-in. Affiliation with people who are Jewish, not enough. The first birth on earth assures you nothing. You must be born again. What does that say to us? It says to us, to the person who just wants to follow religion, I'm really good, I go to mass, I go to confession, I give my check every month. Great, doesn't mean anything. The works-based doesn't mean anything. Coattail Christian, riding the coattails of, well, I go to church, I, put my, I even put my hand up sometimes during worship. Doesn't mean anything. If the heart's not his. And youth, we've talked about this before, but when you look at John 1, 12, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Youth, we've talked about it. You have to have your own moment of surrender and decision. Jesus, take it all. You can't have it just because family's there. And what does he say? You must be born again. Now that born again means from above. It means anew. It's that reminder, you can't do it on your own. Turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 5, but we're gonna, we'll actually start at 4. But, and this is Titus 3. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Again, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not anything we can do. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not by anything we can do. It's by what he does. It's the gift from him. It's his grace. It's his mercy. Now, in this moment, when Nicodemus is told, you've got to be born again, what does he say? Nicodemus said to him, verse 4 of our text, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? He's saying, how? How can this be? 
How, how, I'm, I'm so old. How does that work? How do I go back? How do I fit back in the womb? It's Nicodemus's moment. He's got to rethink birth. And he's doing what we see countless times and we're going to keep seeing in the gospel. Jesus brings a spiritual truth and they stay stuck on the physical. They stay stuck on what is logical, what is there. Nicodemus would know of all the Old Testament promises of the new covenant. What would happen? God would gather his people. God would cleanse them. Messiah would come. He's awaiting Messiah to come. He's eager for Messiah to come and reign. But what he's realizing, not quite yet, is that Jesus is saying, you're not good enough as you are. You must be born again. Your flesh, your works, all the rules that you're following mean nothing. They do nothing. You need the new birth. You need regeneration. Now think about this man again, the status that he has, where he is, everything is a result of the process of his life. And now he's being told, you've got to be born again. Same thing for us. Everything up until that moment when you come to know Jesus, you know your life. You know how you've done it. It's been a process of decisions you've made, things you've done. And now it's, you must be born again. And he's questioning, how do I do that? Because where I am up until this point, if I have to be born again, that means my personality's got to change. That means my spirit, my mind, my thoughts, my heart, everything. Think about it, because that's reset. Reset. Bingo. That's right, Nicodemus. Because you can't stay as you are when you see Jesus face to face. You must change. You must be born again. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because when we think about our culture and the times that we're in today, and in the world that we're in today, we read there. Ooh, I'm in a second. Let me get there. Chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You must be born again. When we look at our culture today, when we look at the world today, and we think of this idea of being born again, don't buy the lie that they can't change, that sin can't change, homosexual feelings can't change, that's just you're born this way, and that's the way it is. No, we see it right here. Such were some of you. And that's where, church, we've got to do the work of putting the word of God in front of people and saying, read this, read this. And then let them wrestle with that. Let them wrestle and then pray that they believe, they receive the gift of grace, the gift of mercy, that they would be born again. Because guess what? All of us are such were some of yours. Every single one of us. There's who we were before Christ and there's who we are in Christ. But ultimately, you must be born again. That's what Jesus is telling him right now. You must be born again. But Nicodemus in this moment, as many do, he gets stuck on the physical impossibility of it. 
He gets stuck on the intellectualizing of it, on the logic of it. It can't, it, that just, I, it, it doesn't make sense. That's what will happen when we share the gospel sometimes. Because people will see it and it's like, well, you got to be born again. You got to be made a new look. And it's like, that, I, that, no, I don't get it. That doesn't make sense because they're stuck on the physical. Yet again, what is Christ presenting? The spiritual possibility. Because it's a wonder, it's a gift of grace and mercy, salvation. Back in our text, verse 5. Jesus answered, so he goes back to him now and says, Most assuredly, same phrase again, in truth, this is the reality. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice first he said, seeing the kingdom of God. So there's the seeing it, and now he's going even further. You're not going to get in unless born of water and born of the Spirit. That which is, verse 6, born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So again, verse 3, first we see the seeing. Then verse 5, we're now talking about the entering. And this would be no surprise to the people who have been following with, with Jesus right now. For us who are following, who have the whole counsel of the word of God, if we really go back again to that verse in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, 13, who were born not of blood, that's natural, nor of the will of flesh, natural, nor of the will of man, natural, but of God. It's a spiritual birth that has to happen. Flesh is the flesh, spirit is the spirit, flesh doesn't equal the spirit. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't work your way into salvation. Nicodemus came to discuss, to have this conversation with him. Nicodemus was wanting to hear, learn from him. He's getting way more than he planned for. He's getting told, yeah, everything that you think, no. You've got to be born again. Your citizenship, your kingdomhood is about me. That's what he's being told in this. That's what we have to remember. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our identity is in Christ. Where do you get your identity from? Are you in identity politics or Christ alone? Not knocking, we should be involved in caring for what's going on in our country. But if that means more than Jesus, we've got to take inventory. Our identity is in Christ alone. Now we see here, he says in verse 5, unless one is born of water... And the spirit. Now, born of water is one of those things, just like we had a little bit earlier. And this is a recurring theme with Jesus' spiritual truths that require us to dig deeper. There's different thoughts on this. Many will look at this and take that, born of the, uh, born of the water and the spirit, and say, okay, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. That's it. Look at it. It says it right there. Unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Hang on a second. If you're going to go with that train of thought, let's read verse 16 of this chapter. Now we're talking about salvation, how we are saved. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say whoever believes and is dunked in a pool of water should not perish but have everlasting life. It's belief. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9. Now, why are we going through the scripture? This is the reality. When these things come up, don't go to a commentary. Just go to scripture. The Bible's the best commentary on itself. Just go to scripture. Another verse on salvation. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For by grace you have been saved through faith and baptism. No, just through faith. Through faith, belief, faith. That's what we're looking at when we see this. Now we go to Luke chapter 23, the thief on the cross. Luke 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, assuredly, I say to you, find a way to get off the cross and be baptized, and then you will be with me in paradise. That's not what is said there. And if we look, another example with Paul, which is great, where this is somebody who's done, we know, so much for the church. The Lord used him mightily. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What's his focus? Preach the gospel, the word. There's many, many more verses we could go through this, but if we take this idea of born of water and want to use it as a proof verse to say you have to be baptized for salvation, no. And if you still think that's the case, please, let's have a chit-chat after this. Second thing people will point to with the born of water is that physical birth. Because think about the amniotic fluid that surrounds the fetus, the baby, and the uterus. It bursts forth, life comes forth. Another idea with the born of water, think of this, women, what's your theme for the year? Watered by the word. It's this idea of the word of God watering the person. What are men called to do? Water your bride with the word of God. Check in, how you doing on that, men? Make sure we're doing it. But that's an important piece. Now, the other one, Ezekiel 36. Turn there. If we look at Ezekiel 36, and this one would have some meaning for Nicodemus, of course, being the ruler that he is, being the Pharisee that he is, knowing the scriptures, there would be meaning here. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this is another. So those are all the different trains of thought when we come to this idea of born of water. Now, if we go taking this in the context... Right? We like context, Calvary Chapel. When we think about this idea, what's the theme that we're in right now in chapter 3? The theme is being born again. This passage is about being born again. The first birth has water that comes. We all have that first birth, but only those who believe and receive have that second spiritual birth. A Chuck Smith quote that I like on this passage, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. The first birth, physical. Second birth, spiritual. The born again is a regenerated spirit. And guess what? It's only done. It's only through 
Christ alone. The flesh and the spirit, again, not the same. Now, for us who are born-again believers, who know the Savior, who know the King, when we see this idea of flesh and spirit, we've got to also then remember something. And it's something I just want. Whenever you see flesh and spirit in Scripture, I pray for this body. We say, oh, good, this is a good time to do a pulse check. Where am I walking right now? Because in Galatians 5, 16, we see, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So first we have that reminder for us, believers in Christ, where am I? Where am I walking? The goal is to walk in the Spirit. And then remember, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians. We see that's the reason we need to be born again. We see that you have that journey of doing whatever you're doing, being whoever you are. But if you come face to face with Jesus, he's going to say, you must be born again. And then at that point, the Spirit, verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Flesh and Spirit, do that pulse check. Where are you? How are you going with that? And guess what? If we go to the verses before where we looked at the three hearts, the my way, the his way, the fake heart, if you got my way and fake way, you probably got flesh going on. And you need to crucify that flesh. That's why Jesus tells us, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Yes, youth, I'm doing that verse every time. Daily. Deny daily. And that's the charge that we have to go through. We have to do that. You must be born again. Now back in our text, verse 7. He said all this to Nicodemus, and at this point he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Remember, Nicodemus' whole notion of the kingdom of God, of how this is all going to go right now, has just been flipped over. And he's just, how? This makes no sense. I don't understand this. And Jesus is like, don't marvel at this. That I'm telling you, singular word is used, then you must be born again, plural you is used. An important thing to note in the language. I'm telling you is singular because he's saying straight to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I tell you and then the you must be born again, that you is plural because it's all. Every single person, you must be born again. Nicodemus comes to have this discussion with Jesus and Jesus' response is, who you are doesn't matter. It's who I make you through salvation. Because who is Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life. It's rethinking birth. It's the reality we're not born good. It's the reality we can't good our way into heaven. 
There's only one good, God. God is good. And only Jesus gives us access to that through salvation. There's an example of this if we turn to Matthew chapter 19. And lots of us know this. This is the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? It's the question that comes. I want to be good. I'm a good person. What good thing do I do to get into heaven? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. There's only one good, God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now you could look at that and say, okay, but he checked all the commandments, so it's about following all the commandments. No, Jesus knows where he's going in this moment. He's saying, you've got to be willing to surrender, give up, leave all, and it's all about me. It's everything, forsake everything, give everything up for me. Religion teaches there's a checklist to get in. Culture teaches that there's a self-list to get in. Jesus teaches there's one way to get in, Christ alone. You aren't enough. You aren't good enough as you are. You can't religion your way in. You can't works your way in. It's a harsh reality, but it is the reality because if you don't go that one way, you're going to be in hell. You'll be in the lake of fire forever and ever. That's just the reality. There's one way, and you're either going to branch off to heaven or branch off to hell from that one way. Now, this chapter 3, again, I said this is a beloved chapter. We love this chapter because we have that verse in 16. That's that verse of salvation. It is so beautiful. But again, before we get there, we needed to take that pause and look at the sin state status. Because notice, before we get to that in this chapter, what is Jesus doing with Nicodemus? He's level setting You're not good enough. You need to be born again. Everything has to change. You need a new birth. Think about the idea of birth. It is a journey birth. And it is a journey for us. In that journey, there's a mom and dad that come to tend to you, to care for you. Youth in the room, little caveat for you. If you're frustrated with mom or dad, if you're frustrated with family or this or that, take some time to pray about that. Take some time to realize these are the parents God has given me. Let me honor them. Let me respect them. And don't buy the lies of social media and culture that want to make you play victim, youth. Don't buy that. Honor your mother and father. Take what they give you. We'll talk more about it at the youth night in a few weeks. But I just want to just plant that seed as we're thinking about birth, as we're thinking about parents. A parent is there to nurture and tend and steward your soul for eternity. How often do you pray for your parents? Think about that. Now, going back to our focus here, there's the parents that come to nurture, to care for. For our salvation, there's, you could kind of say there's two parents. There's always two, one male and female, just saying that. But there's two parents. 
the word and the spirit. The word of God and the spirit reveals the word of God to us. Now, when a child is born, a child is born with an appetite. We, in Christ, when we are born again, we have an appetite. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You have to crave the word. And as a new babe, we're going to crave the, the milk. And then we grow and we get larger to the meat, maturity in our faith. Also, a parent comes and a parent tries to keep a child doing what? Moving forward. Keep going forward. Keep growing. Keep putting the next step forward. Go do this. Go do that. Keep going. When Paul talks to us in Philippians 3, what is he saying? The same thing there. He reminds us in his words in Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you're born again, you have that new birth, you desire the word, and then you need to keep going forward. And when the enemy tries to blast your past in front of you, memories of certain things, no, keep pressing forward. And then as we go forward, we need to stay anchored in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, after our, the author there, who I believe is Paul, talks about the high priest, the authority that he has, we see in chapter 5, verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They were strong, but now they've become dull, these Jewish Christian believers in this moment. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... For you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are, full, who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We've got to be making sure as we're going in our maturity that we're not going back to milk that we're not going back to taking the word of God, which should be the anchor. Let me put that over here. Let me look at all these other things that cherry pick and they're making the word say what they want it to say. And now you're consuming milk. And that's no good. You need to be rooted on the word. You need to be growing in the word. You need to be having the word. And parents, the, when I see this image of the food, I think we did baby led weaning. It's, you start the solids really early. Freaked me out, but I trust my wife. And it was good. It worked. But that for me, when I think of that, bring the word of God to your child right away. Don't buy the lie. They, they can't understand scripture. Just start introducing scripture. Pray. Read the Bible to them. Don't care how old they are. Put the word of God before them. So we need to be checking that. And then with that spiritual birth, you must be born again. We've got to realize something. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Everyone must be born again. So when we look at everything that is taking place in this discussion, and I, I do wish this is one of those cases, I wish we could have all the details of, the, of this conversation. We get what we have in chapter 3, but there was more that had to have been discussed in that moment. But when we look at this, that you must be born again, what does that tell us? We are born to burn. Huh? That's the reality. We're born to burn, but for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's the reality. When we think about that, it's like, well, that's a little harsh, but that's the portrait. We're born to burn. 
And when you think about that, if you think about until that soul knows Jesus, they're going to burn. Puts a little fire in you to stand for Christ, to help them understand you must be born again. Now, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now here, he's meeting Nicodemus where he is. Because guess what? Nicodemus is logicking. Nicodemus is intellectualizing. Nicodemus is saying, I can't really put this in the box, so I'm not really getting it. And now he talks about the wind and the Holy Spirit. Now in Greek, the word for wind and spirit is the same. The context gives us the meaning. But in here, it's a portrait of what hinders that person from being born again. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you're going to logic it and try to balance it with evolution, you're going to be stuck. You need to just accept, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then immerse yourself in the word because faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Not people, the word of God. That's how that journey goes. Well, I don't, I don't fully get it. I mean, I, I hear the salvation thing. I kind of see my sin state, but I don't really understand everything. I haven't read enough of the Bible. Stop. If it's windy outside, can you go outside and feel the wind? Yes, you can do that. Now, do you know everything about that wind, where it came from, every single detail, its origin, the velocity that it's traveling, where it's going to go next? No. Don't think you need to know all of this before you can come and say, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, save me. When you know your sin state status, you're ready to enter the servant status. You need to understand that. Now, how does this all end up for Nicodemus? We'll see later on in this. He seeks for Jesus to be heard when the judgment's going to be coming, when the council's speaking. And in John 19, we're going to see he and Joseph of Arimathea are the ones who take the body, prepare it, and bury it. And there's many lessons we'll see within that. But with this wind idea and the spirit idea, there's something to remember about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's God. Holy Spirit is sovereign. When we think of that, I like Spurgeon's words here, it should lead us to be very tender and jealous in our conduct towards the Holy Ghost so that we do not grieve him and cause him to depart from us. We need to respect the Holy Spirit's sovereignty. We need to respect the Holy Spirit's authority. We need to commune with the Holy Spirit. Talked about that before. It's something that just gets missed and thrown away and then there are gifts of the Spirit and we don't want to talk about that. Don't go there. Oh my goodness. Are you going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit? He's getting wacky. They exist, people. And if that's a struggle for you, let's talk because there's a biblical order for how they're used. We need to commune with the Holy Spirit. We need to lean on the Holy Spirit. We can't be a group of believers who are not tender with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit, what did we see last week? Will bring to remembrance his word. What a gift that is. That's why we need to be in the word. I don't have a good brain. I don't care what kind of brain you have. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Read this word, and when you need something, he's going to bring it back to you, and you're going to be like, how did I remember that? Holy Spirit. That's the reality. Now again, Nicodemus in this encounter has things that we need to look at that he learned. You aren't good enough. You must be born again. And you don't get to control God. He's sovereign. And we see that wind and the spirit. 
And guess what? When you have that spiritual birth, you then understand all the things of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and is a teacher and comforter. That's the gift that we get. Now, next week, we're going to be able to see salvation clearly spelled out. We're going to get through that phase, but we had to start here with rethinking birth. We needed to look in the mirror and be reminded that in this beautiful gift of salvation, yes, it's important to believe, but we can't just jump to the believe. This is something that gets lost so much, and people love many churches doing these big altar calls. It's big emotional. Let's do this. Let's dim the lights. Let's get everybody stirring up. Who wants to come forth now? And it's all emotional. And guess what? The person that's coming up never fully gets their sin state status. They don't realize that they need to know, I'm not good enough. I'm depraved. I only deserve hell. They need to realize that to then be able to have the surrendered servant status. To then be able to be the new creation. So for next week, ponder a few things. Remember, one, in Christ, if you have been born again, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. So when those things try to come haunt you, what did we see Paul say? Keep pressing forward. Don't look back. Don't let those things come back. Look at your encounter with the word. Are you taking milk as a babe or are you seeking to grow and get some solid foods? Is the word the anchor? Is the word enough? Do you seek status and position to men or do you seek to serve Christ? Has the past crept in? That's when we've got to continually be checking. Something somebody said, something a parent said, whatever, has that crept in? Take it to the cross. And do you surrender to the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit? Do you commune with the Holy Spirit? Or do you logic and intellectualize the Holy Spirit and justify it so you don't have to have any relationship there? Because it's a little weird. I don't want to talk about that. Where are you with that? As we close, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a gift. That's the gift that we get. That's a gift. We don't deserve that. And we get that. And then we see in verse 22 of this chapter, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It's a free gift and the anchor, when you get that gift, the word. It endures forever. It lives forever. 
Our flesh can't do anything. If you don't know Jesus, I pray that you do come to know him. And I encourage you, think about where you are right now. The reality, you're born to burn. If you don't know him, you also don't know when you're going to die. I'm just putting that out there. You can think, well, I got time. What if you leave here, get into a car crash, and that's it? Where are you going to be? So you can't delay that. And for those of us who do know him, again, take stock. Go before him. Lord, search my heart. Is there any of the old self coming in? Because I got to get rid of that. And am I rooted on the word? And am I having milk? Am I having smoothies? Am I having protein shakes? Or am I having solids? Where am I? Don't have a protein shake because it's going to give you the same calorie count, but it's a quick fix. Don't be quick with the word of God. Take time to chew it. Take time to meditate. Take time to dwell in it. And saints, be in prayer again this week because we're moving to the performance and then we also have talking explicitly that belief moment next week as we hit John 3.16. So be in prayer for who needs to come to know the Lord. And if you need to today, let's talk after this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you for how you preserve it, Father God, for us, and that it does live and abide forever. Thank you for the gift of your spirit, Lord. Help us to commune with your Holy Spirit, Lord, more. To lean on as a comforter and a helper, Father God. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we are born again, Lord, those of us who are born again and know you, Lord God. But help us to take stock, Lord. Help us to be a people who share our born-again birth story and tell of what you've done in our lives, Lord, and who you are. And help us to see the areas that things have crept in or moved away or we're losing the reality of who we were before you. Just sinners ready to burn in hell forever, Lord. But through you, Lord, we get to be servants of you. We get to seek to glorify you. And Lord God, we pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, who isn't a surrendered servant, that they may come to that place, Jesus, to realize their sin state, to realize their depravity, to realize the promise of hell, but for the grace and mercy of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be a people who search our hearts continually, who seek your refiner's fire, that we are who you need us to be for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a beautiful afternoon.